being a youth pastor, the biggest thing I deal with teenagers is identity. Who am I? What do I want to be? Are the questions our teens ask themselves. However, they are also asking, am I gay or am I the wrong gender? We are so focused on identity these days, especially when it comes to talk about sexual attractions and gender orientation. But our identity has a deeper root. With that, we have to go to the very beginning. And that is what we are going to do in this week's podcast. This is Rural Faith and Apologetics. I am Jess Robinson. Let's talk about identity. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I hope you had a fabulous week. Before we get into this week's podcast episode, I just want to give a disclaimer that this episode came later than it is usually posted. I started working on the script Friday last week and continued to work on it on Saturday. Then I worked on it some more on Monday and there's so much to this. And usually on Monday, I put the final touches to the episode. And also on that day, I had to be somewhere Monday afternoon. So I'm going to give a disclaimer that from March on to about May, there are a lot of things that happen around on Mondays. You know, we've got network conference coming up in April. I know for sure I have a regional district meeting in March as well. So and other appointments that would be coming up towards the end of you know March and April that will change kind of the schedule and I've tried recording before on a Saturday but it does take a lot of time and usually Saturday is my actual day to rest so I'm trying to avoid that as all possible so there will be times where an episode will show up later on Tuesday because I may have to record on Tuesday morning For the time being until we get to summertime. So last week we began our series on navigating sexual orientation and gender identity with a biblical narrative. If you did not listen to that episode, please pause this one and go listen to that episode before continuing on here. Now we are going to go into part two and for this episode I want to take us to the very beginning in Genesis. The reason why I wanted to go into this area was because the big main argument you see in the sexual attractions and gender identity debate is, this is who I am. I was born this way. I can't tell you how many Facebook posts I have seen of someone saying, this is who I am. I was born this way. If you can't handle that, then delete me as your friend. The culture today is so fixated that our identity is based on sexual attractions, gender, race, career, etc. But in reality, our younger generations are in an identity crisis. Our youth have no core self. What has happened is that they have multiple personalities based on the situation. For example, they will have one personality around their group of friends at school, but they will be entirely different in the classroom. In fact, they may provide multiple personalities to different teachers. 
then they will come up with something different on social media and they'll also be different around their parents. The outcome is that they have no core self, which makes them susceptible to being influenced by the culture. Because our youth have no core self, they feel isolated and their relationships feel transactional. Even in Christian youth, they can feel their relationship with Jesus is transactional if they don't have the right foundation. This leaves youth right open to the influences of the world. So in today's podcast, we are going to go to creation in the Bible where we will understand our identity within God and we will also understand the origin of sin. For this, I would highly recommend getting Christopher Yuan's book, Holy Sexuality. I've been reading it and I want to tell you it has been great. What is so good about this book is Christopher goes to the source, which is scripture, and he actually sets a foundation from the very beginning through scripture. And that's huge because everyone wants to ignore scriptures these days, but the truth only lies within scripture. Now, I'm not going to go through the entire creation story in Genesis chapter 1, but we are going to jump to verses 26 through 27 of Genesis chapter 1, which says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Adam and Eve were created as the crown of all creation because they were made in the image of God. There has been debate for centuries over what it means that we are made in God's image. Some say that we have the image of God or that the image of God is in us. But we are mistaken when we say that the image of God is in us because then we can mistakenly say it is a human attribute. What it means in the image of God is that we are a reflection of God's attributes. God has given us divine characteristics. Even though we are tainted by sin, all of our human qualities are reflections of God's attributes. Just that revelation alone speaks that when we make anything else the core of our being, it is a distortion of God and not just a distortion, but an affront to God. In Christopher Yuan's book, he lists four realities of what is called the imagio Dei that have implications on human sexuality. But I honestly think it also plays out into the area of gender as well. The first one is that the image of God is very good. Throughout the creation story, whatever God creates, he calls it good. And then at the very end, after he created man and woman, God says in verse 31, it was very good. Not just good, but very good. Yuan wrote, the word for good is less about aesthetics and more about purpose. Humanity, like all of creation, was created for good. It's safe to say that any goodness in us can be attributed only to God. God has good plans for us. I can't tell you how many youth I have come around that have felt like they were a mistake. They honestly don't think there is a purpose for their life. And I feel for them because I honestly felt that way when I was their age. I honestly did not feel like I had a purpose in life. 
If I could talk to my teenage self, I would be telling her that she reflects the image of God who has plans for her and just to be still. Adam and Eve lived in innocence for a time in the garden. And we will talk about it in a moment, but in Genesis chapter 3, their free and voluntary act of disobedience cast humankind into a sinful state. With the fall of humankind, the image of God was distorted, not lost. I like how Alyssa Childers, she uses the image of those popsicle molds that you can buy to make your own popsicle instead of spending a lot of money on a box of popsicles that you only get like six. Think of putting one of those molds in the dishwasher when you are not supposed to. Your mold comes out distorted. You try to make popsicles, but it's not right because the form is distorted. Because of sin, things are distorted in our relationship with God. The second reality is the image of God is unique. God created all things. He created the universe. He created all the animals. He created everything. But what is unique in all of creation is that man was made in his image. Adam was created from the dust of the ground and God breathed life into Adam. No other creature has that privilege. Yes, they were created by God, but they were not created in the image of God. Which brings up a good point because some of the arguments made to justify homosexuality is that it's a natural occurrence in some animals. Evolution tries to equate us with animals, but we are not the same. In fact, there are things that we shouldn't do that animals do. Some eat their young, for example. I also need to bring up the trend where some people call themselves furries. For those that don't know what a furry is, it is someone who believes they are an animal. Because we are unique from the rest of creation, someone just cannot identify as an animal or be an animal. The next reality is, is that the image of God is male and female. To understand this, we need to look at verse 27 of the first chapter of Genesis. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 27 is three parallel lines of poetry. You will see parallelism a lot in the Psalms, but it appears here in Genesis. The first line lays the foundation on which the next two lines build. God created man in his own image. The second line basically repeats the first, but in different order. The prepositional phrase in the image of God is at the beginning and the subject verb object, he created him, is still at the end. Then we get to the third line, which also ends with the subject verb object, He created them, but now the singular pronoun him in line two has been replaced by the plural them. You probably didn't think we were going to get into grammar today, but it is important in the Bible. One of my favorite sayings dealing with grammar is we tend to put a question mark in a place where God has put a period. The thing is, these three parallel lines causes us to pause and take note of this truth on the image of God and sexual differentiation. Christopher Yuan wrote, Just as the image of God is essential to who we are, male or female is essential to who we are. Now, it is not saying that God is male or female or both. 
It is also not saying God is transgender or gender fluid, as some have said. Genesis 1 is conveying an opposite message. What I didn't realize until I did my research was that according to ancient Near Eastern pagan mythology, all came into being through the sexual union of a male god and a female god. You can look at the mythology of many cultures, but scripture shows that along with making the heavens and the earth, God created sexual differentiation, and he thus stands above the polarity of sex. And God does differentiate a lot in creation. He separated light and darkness, day and night, evening and morning, for example. In the same way, he differentiated humanity and uniquely created us in his own image, male and female. This is essential to being human. No matter how much a transgender tries to alter their body, the most that can be done is artificially remove or augment body parts or use pharmaceuticals to unnaturally suppress the biological reality of their essence as male or female. That's where we are getting into trouble because there is this denial of genetics and biology in order to favor feelings and experience. What I feel is who I am, is what people are saying. Essentially, we've gotten to the point of psychology going above biology, which is wrong. Yes, we need psychology because there are mental health issues out there. But a problem has arisen where instead of getting to the root of issue, secular psychology has said, mutilate yourself. It sounds harsh, but it's the truth. It's just a band-aid. If you look at the stories of those that detransitioned, they realized that changing their gender did not fix anything. It actually made things worse. Today, truth is being taught that it is no longer absolute. It has become what I think and feel. Yuan explains in his book, transgenderism is not only a battle of ontology, the study of being, but also a battle of epistemology, the study of knowledge. No matter what the world teaches, sexual differentiation is not a social construct. Being male or female is an intrinsic aspect of who we are. And the final reality is the image of God is Christological. Due to the fall and sin, the image of God has been distorted within us. However, God had a plan to redeem us because he is good and loving. The first Adam brought sin and death, but the second Adam, which is Jesus, who is the Son of God, brought life, righteousness, atonement, and justification. You can read of those passages in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 45 through 49. The image of God is restored in purity and glory through his son, Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Also in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, it says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is God's perfect image because he is part of the Trinity. And as believers, we have been called away from the darkness of sin 
to become conformed to the image of Christ. It's not just a statement of fact, but a command. Romans chapter 13 verse 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And there are many other verses that say we are to become more like Christ in our walk with him. We call this process sanctification. In this process, you become more like Christ as you partner with the Holy Spirit every day. Sanctification happens at the moment you accept Christ, but it's also an ongoing process which will culminate the day that we go to be with the Lord. Now that we have talked about the beginning and our identity being reflections of God, we also need to talk about the origin of sin. Some like to only talk about our identity in God, while others only want to talk about sin. But you have to talk about both equally. And it's so easy to talk about the love of God, but his love for us is cheapened when we don't fully grasp our own sinfulness. So going back to Adam and Eve, who introduced the original sin, and we have descended from them because of sin, We also are sinful and in need of a Savior. The only one who did not have sin was Jesus. And we have to talk about sin, because if we don't, we are rejecting the work that Jesus did on the cross. And we have to talk about the fall in Genesis 3, and we've talked about it before in the podcast. Prior to Genesis chapter 3, God had told Adam they could eat any tree in the Garden of Eden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent tempted Eve and both Eve and Adam disobeyed God by eating the fruit. Now, some say that God was setting Adam and Eve up for failure. He wasn't. We tend to read the Bible and think that God says a lot of no's. And as Christians, we can get in the habit of just looking at the no's within the Bible. But with a no, God has said yes. He said no to the one tree, but there were many yeses with the rest of the trees in the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil stood as a memorial of their free will to choose to either be obedient or disobedient. And because they had sinned, Adam and Eve hid from God in fear and shame. Then they started to blame others instead of repenting. So what were the consequences of the fall that happened in Genesis chapter 3? Well, the most obvious consequence was death. God had warned Adam and Eve that eating of the fruit of the forbidden tree would lead to death. While they did not automatically die, the consequences of sin are death physically, as evidenced in the line, to dust you shall return, and spiritually. Adam and Eve were separated from God, having been banished from the garden. But in that consequence, God brought hope in the first Old Testament prophecy of Jesus. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says to the serpent, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The fall resulted in death, and along with death came other natural consequences. Cancer, sickness, physical and mental health disorders, defects and disabilities. Now, just because these natural consequences occurred from the fall, it does not mean they are sinful. It happens both to the unrighteous and the righteous. 
another consequence that has occurred is guilt. Now we equate guilt with the emotion of having done something wrong, but guilt, especially in the Bible, is a judicial standard where we have been found liable for breaking the law and deserving punishment. Many have a problem with this. We don't like to admit to something we feel like we haven't done. The next thing I want to talk about is original sin. Since guilt is a legal status of culpability, we need to discuss original sin as a moral condition. For those that don't know this concept, original sin is not found in the Bible like the actual word for trinity. However, the concept is found from the very beginning with the fall. However, original sin is not the actual sin of Adam and Eve. It is the result of the first sin, a consequence with extensive moral ramifications. Sadly, every person is born with a sinful condition. The reason why it is called original is because its origin is from the beginning and all our actual sins, which are sinful thoughts, desires, words, and actions, originate from it. It's so important to understand this in order to fully grasp the immense need of a Savior. And this is pervasive to all humanity. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3 verse 10 that no one is good. And actually Paul is quoting Psalms 14 when he wrote that in Romans. Sin affects all our faculties, actions, words, thoughts, and desires. It even affects our sexual desires. However, we cannot confuse sin as who we are. It's how we are. And it's because of how we are that we are in so much need of a Savior. And just because no one is good does not mean we can't do good actions. There are believer, unbelievers who do good works. However, on the inside, their spirit is not good. Now, what about those who were born again believers? Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 17. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. So even as believers, there will be this constant friction between the flesh and the spirit. But here's the big difference. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of us that helps us to not walk in the flesh and enables us to, to choose not to sin. I remember the struggles I had when I first became a believer, but as I continually pursued the Lord, I gained no desire to give in to sinful desires. And if I'm crossing that line, the Holy Spirit lets me know through conviction. And despite this thing called sin, we have redemption through Jesus. And that has been God's plan since the fall to redeem us. And while sin is not fully eradicated, there will be a day when it will be no more. And I think we're getting closer to that day each day. So we've discussed the beginning and original sin. We have to discuss those ideas because it establishes the correct foundation. As we get into discussing same-sex attractions and gender identity in the next two episodes, we will need this foundation in order to spot where things have veered off, especially in Christian circles, and how do we talk with someone struggling in those areas. 
With that in mind, that's it for this week's episode. As always, if you are liking our content, please like, rate, and share this podcast. Tune in next week as we continue our series. Have a great week. God bless. Mm -hmm.